0: The one power that labor has is the power to withhold their work and to shut down the economy, to compel employers to come to the bargaining table and to give them a fair deal. Since our episode last month about Chicago's own history with unions, there have been even more news headlines about potential job walk-offs or all-out strikes, some of which directly affect some of the city's biggest tourism dollars. A group of employees at Wrigley Field voted last night to authorize a strike and they're likely to walk off the job today. The concession workers employed by Levy restaurants have been working without a contract for nearly three years. They say they're only asking for what concession workers at the United Center and Sox Park negotiated earlier this year. And this week, on both a national and local level, we've seen a focus on the current United Auto Workers strike. You guys, UAW, you saved the
1: automobile industry back in 2008, made a lot of sacrifices, gave up a lot, and the companies were in trouble, but now they're doing incredibly well, and guess what? You should be doing incredibly well, too.
0: As we'll hear today, it's rather unprecedented in its rollout, and it's anyone's best guess as to when an agreement will be made. I'm Jim Hankey, and this week we'll hear from longtime auto reporter Jeff Gilbert who's in the heart of Detroit, and therefore has a bird's eye view of UAW's latest battle. Let's get looped in, Chicago.
1: What's the starting wage in one of your tips? $17. $17. $17. To think that there are men and women who are crafting these automobiles that cost 50, 60, 70, 80,000 bucks, and they're paid just about the same as the guy who's crafting a subway sandwich. Something's wrong with this picture.
0: That's Illinois Senator Dick Durbin earlier this week speaking with UAW members picketing outside the General Motors parts distribution plant in Bolingbrook. Fellow State Senator Tammy Duckworth also made an appearance on the picket line outside the Stellantis plant in Naperville last week. Speaking with reporters, Durbin shared why he felt it was important to be there with striking workers.
1: I wanted to show solidarity with these women and men who are here today. You know, I come from a union family. I was raised, 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 yes. raised, raised in a union family. Mm-hmm. I did not want them to think they're standing out here alone.
0: Meanwhile, around 700 concession workers at Wrigley Field, represented by Unite Here Local One, have authorized a strike that could occur soon. And as of this recording, that would leave concessionaire Levy restaurants with a need for a quick plan B just in case the Cubs make their current goal of earning a National League wildcard spot. So, with all of the above even with the writers guild of america reaching a tentative agreement over the weekend striking continues to be above the fold as we say in journalism a hot topic and no one has covered it better for our sister station in detroit wwj than jeff gilbert he's seen strikes over the decades from air traffic controllers coal miners steel workers and of course being in motor city those on the assembly line at auto plants and i wanted to ask him if he's seen changes in what union members are asking for now
1: when compared to previous strikes that he's covered. I think we have to look at a unique moment in time where not only have you got Sean Fain, who is more aggressive, but you've got an industry that's making a lot of money and an industry that has a lot of worry about all the money it's got to spend to move to EVs. So I, I think in terms of auto workers, they realize if they're going to get back things that they gave up, Now is the time. Things could be very, these contracts generally run four years. Things could be very different in four years. So they realize that if they don't get what they want now, there's a good chance they'll never get it. And many of the things that they want are things they gave up previously. Now, some of these you may argue were excessive, like they had the jobs bank back then where people were getting pay. For not necessarily working, if their plant was shut down, they would do community service, and the companies would still have to pay them full pay. Car makers don't want to do that again because that led them to keep the plants running and sell vehicles at a loss. Uh, but the the union says, "Hey, wait a second! You gave us these job security provisions for so many years. You took them away from us in tough times, but now you've got good times. We want them back." So you can see how the two sides are are looking at the same truths, but looking at them differently.
0: Let's rewind a little bit to start off for listeners. Has UAW been going without a contract for a while, or was there a catalyst from your angle as to how we got here at this moment?
1: Yeah, there was a deadline. It was uh, the 14th at 11.59 p.m. just before midnight. That is a traditional deadline every four years when, when the UAW has contract talks with the Detroit Three. So that was a deadline. This is a very different year because we have a new UAW president who has a totally Different way of looking at things. So, in the past, when they reached the deadline, the union would often have a strike extension. They would always target one company that they would try to pattern with. And that was a tradition. I, I don't recall them ever getting a contract at the deadline. Generally, they would extend a couple of days and get a contract. Sometimes it would be a strike, but it would be against one car maker. This year, UAW President Sean Fain said early on he wasn't choosing a target, he was going to pick all three of them as a target and then if it got closer he said anybody who doesn't have a deal would have a strike then he decided to do what he calls a stand-up strike where they selected individual plants to go on strike but didn't go out against all of the plants so when midnight hit on the evening of the 14th they walked out at three plants one of them in the Detroit area, a plant that makes uh, the Ranger and the Bronco for Ford. One in Toledo, the plant that makes several Jeep products, including the Wrangler and the Gladiator. And the other one in Wentzville, Missouri, which makes midsize pickups for General Motors. Then last week, they expanded it by striking at parts distribution centers for GM and Stellantis, but not Ford because they were making progress at Ford. That kind of takes you up to where we stand today.
0: Absolutely. And let's spend a little bit of time on UAW President Sean Fain for a second, because the UAW itself in recent years has had some upheaval, which has paved the way for him to to lead them. The strike hasn't been going on all that long, but he's been especially vocal to the media. And I wonder if we can discuss who he is and how he's risen to the top of the UAW.
1: Yeah, I'll take the second part first on how he has risen, because this has its seeds planted in the corruption scandal with the UAW. They, the union, submitted an agreement with federal prosecutors saying that they would let members decide whether they wanted to directly elect their leaders or whether they wanted those leaders chosen at a convention as they always had been chosen. Well, the members said, We want direct elections. So the first direct election was very close. I believe there was less than 500 vote margin and also very low turnout. I believe it was under 30%. And Sean Fain won that election. He ran on a platform, A, of getting rid of corruption, but B, of taking a harder line with the car companies. He had claimed, and there's always been a faction within the union, it's not been a large faction, but it's been there, people claiming that the leadership was too cozy with the car makers. Well, he was among those who said that. So he said, we're going to have a new relationship. So essentially, when he was elected, it was day one for a new bargaining relationship with the Detroit three car makers.
0: And this strike is rather unprecedented, even in a year where we've seen SAG-AFTRA and WGA and other large organizations hitting the picket line. Why is this particular auto workers strike different than say in 2019 we had 46,000 GM workers walk out what makes this one
1: different for people at home well in the first case it was just against general motors in 2019 and in the second case you you kind of have to strike no pun intended, you have to take that one from the list of strikes because that was in the middle of the the corruption scandal. And the UAW will never admit this, but there are many people who believe that that strike might have been at least partially provoked to take attention away from the corruption scandal. The UAW president at that time, Gary Jones, ended up going to federal prison. So that strike was kind of a one-off. So if you take that away, as well as a couple of very brief strikes in 2007, you have had about 25 years of labor peace between the Detroit 3 and the UAW, which in itself was unprecedented because before that, every year one of the three would be on strike. It, it was like clockwork. But starting in about 87, they they settled on a national level that had a big devastating strike against a series of plants in Flint that pretty much shut GM down in 98. And that was kind of like the mutual assured destruction moment where both sides backed off and said, wait a second, we've got to cooperate. We've got to work together. And then you went through the recession, things of that nature. And again, Sean Fein has pretty much reset that, saying that working together hasn't really gotten our members much. So we're going to be confrontational.
0: I've been hearing a lot about uh, what they're calling a two-tiered system. That's something that UAW wants to see changed. Can we describe that for people and why it's a key part of what they're asking for?
1: Yeah, for years, car makers have wanted to pay newer workers less than older workers. It gives them an opportunity to hire people at at less money and... The union has resisted that until the recession came along, the great recession of 08, 09, when the union gave in and said, look, we understand you need to do this. So they allowed them to do it. They kind of held their nose and let it happen. Since then, they've been trying to get rid of it. At first, they set a progression time where those newer workers would finally get up to top pay. Then they shortened that progression time. And carmakers, it's now eight years from the time you start to the time you get to full pay. Uh, Carmakers say we're willing to shorten that to four years. The union wants to get rid of it entirely and make it a couple, after a couple of months probationary period, you get, you get full pay. So again, the argument for it is that newer workers don't have as much experience, so they're gonna get paid less and they work their way up to the top wage rate. The union's argument is, hey, we're all doing the same job. We should all get the same pay. After the break, Joe Biden
0: becomes the first sitting U.S. president to join the UAW picket line. With the 2024 election looming, will Donald Trump follow? And does one of the three major automakers seem more likely to reach a deal with UAW before the other two? All that and much more when we return.
1: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
0: According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, union membership was higher 40 years ago. In 1983, about one-fifth of workers, regardless of gender, were part of a union. And as of 2022, that number is down to about one in every 10. So I asked Jeff, in what he's seen over the years, why that trend is still on a decline despite the fact that we've heard an awful lot about striking unions this year
1: in the news. There are two trends going on here. The one trend you mentioned, less union membership, more work in the South. Uh, the, The other trend is the unions that are there are becoming more militant. And part of that is because of the labor shortage. If you know that they can't replace you because there aren't enough workers out there, it's going to embolden you a little bit more to go on strike than if you knew that there were five people sitting hungering for your job if you go on strike. And you throw in inflation where people see paycheck erosion and companies that don't necessarily want to pay extra because it adds to their costs. You get into a situation that's more ripe for strikes. And your non-union situation in the auto industry, if you go back to Even the early 80s, I can't think of an exception. There may have been an exception, but every plant that assembled a car in the U.S. was represented by the UAW. It was simple. Then Honda built a plant in Marysville, Ohio that has not been represented. Toyota built a plant in Georgetown, Kentucky, which is the largest plant in the United States, and it's not represented. And now you've got plants all over the South, Hyundai, Kia, Mercedes, BMW, I'm missing a few that are not represented. And for years, Detroit carmakers have been saying, look, we're having trouble competing with their lower labor costs. They pay good money, but they don't pay UAW wages. They don't have UAW benefits. But the car makers had talked about what they call the transplants, the foreign automakers uh, having labor cost advantages over them. Now they're talking about Tesla which makes vehicles at even lower labor costs because so much of the process is automated because they have people in there who they hired on early and they got stock benefits instead of pay. So Tesla's labor costs are far lower. And this is even scarier still to the car makers that there are other car makers coming in because EVs have allowed new car makers to to join in the competition and these people might pay even later. Vinfast, a Vietnamese car maker, is building a plant in North Carolina. I would imagine its labor costs are going to be lower than Tesla. A former GM plant in Ohio is now owned by Foxconn. If that name sounds familiar to you, they make, they make I'm showing this because we're not radio, these devices, the iPhone. Well, they wanna make cars for another EV startup. And there are a bunch of Chinese car makers that are doing quite well in other parts of the world that would love to have a plan in the U S and, and compete against American EVs. So now you can see why American car makers are staying up late at night.
0: Interesting. And, and, you know, reports are that of the three major manufacturers that we're talking about in this current strike, Ford has been the one making progress on their end, uh, actively coming to the bargaining table more so than GM and Stellantis. Do you have any indication as to why that is?
1: Yeah, because Ford has far more employees in the United States than the other two and the UAW has more leverage against Ford than it would against the other two because Ford makes all of its full size pickups, which are the biggest, biggest money makers by far. All of those are made in the U.S. at a plant here in the Detroit area and another plant in Kansas City. GM makes its full size pickups in Fort Wayne, in Flint, in Canada, in Mexico. So there are a number of places that make them if they were shut down in the U.S they'd have supplies from there. Stellantis makes them in the U.S. and in Mexico. So the union by far has more leverage against Ford than anybody else.
0: Jeff told me this UAW strike is unique in the way that it's been rolled out. As mentioned, two Chicagoland plants joined after workers at the first three plants in Michigan, Ohio,
1: and Missouri walked out. So how many more will join and when? this decision is not made by individual plants. It's made by Sean Fain and the other members of what's called the UAW Executive Board. And Fain, by the way, has a one vote majority on that board. So it's very, very close, but he does have the majority on the board. So pretty much his decision is going to go. So they will decide which plants will go out next. And their strategy has been, to try to keep people guessing. So it's been hard to follow. I don't know a single person who guessed the second round of plants would be parts distribution centers. Lots of people are looking at those big pickup plants wondering when is the union going to strike those because those would cause the maximum immediate damage. The other plants are engine and transmission plants, which would cause residual damage by shutting down other plants for lack of supply. So You know, we we can play the guessing game forever we have. And every time we've tried, everybody I've talked to has been wrong. As we heard in a clip earlier in this episode, President Joe Biden visited a Detroit
0: UAW picket line yesterday, making him the first sitting U.S. president to do so in support of any union. So Jeff described to me how what candidates do in this moment
1: may feed into the ballot box come 2024. The Democratic Party has been highly tied in with unions for years. So, here in the Detroit area we have seen almost every democratic politician end up on picket lines. President Biden is has issued his support for the workers. On the Republican side, Donald Trump has issued support for the workers. He's planning to come to Detroit and talk. He won't be on the picket line, but he will have a an event with auto workers supporters in the Detroit area while the other Republicans are debating. So, you know, an election year is coming and uh, there are a lot of voters on picket lines and not as many voters in boardrooms.
0: How do you see this going over, you know, in the next few weeks? How long do you predict it will be before we see a resolution? Do we do we see this going full scale where the auto industry quite literally comes to a halt uh, over the next couple of months as we approach again, you know, the holidays, Christmas? I'm not sure how it's looking
1: the American auto industry will not shut down because half of the American auto industry is run by non-union companies. They may be owned by foreign companies, but they manufacture in the U.S. And that is a danger to the Detroit 3 car makers because, you know, there there are a lot of people who give their support to American-made products. There are other people who buy these products because they like them and if their ford explorer made in chicago is not in a dealership they may go across the street and get their hyundai palisade made in alabama it's very possible car makers could lose market share because of this and to talk about how this is going to play out you know when strikes start i've covered labor for a long time auto industry and then steel industry before that in pittsburgh and coal miners as well, when strikes start, they have a life of their own and it's really hard to tell how long they'll go. As we're recording this, I see no signs of, of, of a quick resolution. Many experts believe that one car maker will end up settling first and the other two will follow in quick order as the union goes into traditional pattern bargaining where they try to pattern that first segment. But it's just hard to tell because we're really charting new ground here.
0: You're certainly in the thick of it there in Detroit. I appreciate you sharing a bit uh, about your coverage for WWJ with me this week, and I think our listeners at home now have a little bit more insight in everything that's going on. So thank you so much for stopping by. Great. Thanks for talking to me. This episode of Looped in Chicago was hosted, produced, and edited by me, Jim Hankey, with additional editing by Ariel Ravene and assistance from Myron Kaplan. Craig Schwalb is our station's news director, and special thanks this time around to Zach Clark and Jeff Gilbert at WWJ. You can subscribe to the program on the free Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at WBBM News Radio and at WBBM Podcasts for visual content relating to our episodes. We'll keep you looped in again right here next week. See you then.